Welcome to the Speak Up Talk Radio Network. I am Pat Rulo. We specialize in author interviews, audiobook, and podcast production, as well as the prestigious Firebird Book Awards and the Positive Change Podcast Awards. We also feature our fun and short podcast that allows authors to record their own writing tip to share on our Boom Bang Oh My Gosh Wow podcast. You can find that along with the rest of our offerings at speakuptalkradio.com. Well, today I have a returning and a recent Firebird Book Award winning author to share with you. He is Lukeman Clark, and his winning book is titled The Alexandria Scrolls, Book Two, The Transfiguration of Brandon Blake, the second in the Alexandria Scrolls trilogy. Lukeman lives with his wife and his two cats in Riverside, California. He works as a full-time writer and gardener in his own backyard. Long ago, he earned his B.A. in Communications, English Lit, and an M.B.A. in International Marketing. And from there, he went on to executive positions in banking, finance, investment, petroleum equipment manufacture, art museum management, farmer's market management, nonprofit strategy, and fundraising. Lots of good things. Following the completion of The Egyptian Elegies, Lukman began writing his debut novel, The Alexandria Scrolls, and we are going to get to all of that in just a moment. I'm so happy to have another opportunity to spend time with him. So welcome back, Lukman. Well, thank you, Pat. Uh, Boy, I'd like to meet this guy you just introduced. (laughs) Long ago and far away, right? Exactly. (laughs) That's always fun. So many authors say that when they listen back, they're like, that was me? (laughs) Yeah. Well, listen, uh, congratulations again on winning the Firebird Book Award. That was exciting news. I'm uh, quite uh, pleased and proud to, to have won that. Uh, you know, it was recognition of a lot of uh, work uh, that went into creating the novels. And it's always then good to realize that others believe in your work as much as you do. And as I was reading your bio, I thought, Wow, it feels like I just did that. It seems like yesterday we were just talking about your book, the retelling the story of Hypatia of Alexandria. And back then you mentioned that that was your first book, all going under the title of the Alexandria Scrolls. And so now this is the second book in the series, right? That's right, Pat. And as you pointed out earlier, book two is called The Transfiguration of Brandon Blake. And it's the story of the man who discovered Hypatia's written record, or what are called the Alexandria Scrolls. Right. And as I recall, he came upon those scrolls in a most unusual way. So maybe tell us about that. I'd love to. Well, Brandon Blake is what you might call a trust fund baby. His parents died in an accident when he was around 11, after which he was raised by his Aunt Grace in Brooklyn. Then he inherited his parents' estate when he came of age. Brandon's been having a hard time settling on what he wants to do with his life, so he's become sort of a professional student. I think I could have done that myself. (laughs) Uh, Picking up degrees in various fields, including classical studies. However, he's been plagued by what seemed to him memories of past lives. So he sets up an appointment with a renowned hypnotist in L.A. for past life regression. And it's during this session that he first learns of the Lost Scrolls. Oh, my gosh. So does Brandon find out he lived during the same time as Hypatia, and that's how he knows about them? No, what happens is when the therapist, whose name is Dr. Clara Ducelli, takes him back, Brandon lands in a time about 500 years after Hypatia. 
He's an Arab hydrologist working in what today is northwestern Libya. And during his survey work looking for underground water sources, he comes upon a buried wooden chest containing the scrolls. For safekeeping, he puts them in a nearby cave where they stay for another thousand years because in that lifetime, sadly, Brandon is eaten alive by a pack of jackals during the next night. <laughs> oh, my. That is frightening, isn't it? Um, this whole past life regression thing sounds like it can often be pretty scary stuff. Yeah, I guess it can be. Uh, Brandon comes out of hypnosis pretty shaken up. But Dr. Ducelli calms him with a gentle reminder, we all have lived many times, therefore we have also died many times before. The thing is, we don't get to choose when and where we will die, and not nor typically do we pass quietly in our sleep or surrounded by friends and family. So Brandon ends his session by saying he thinks he can find the wooden chest, and Dr. Ducelli, Clara, says she'd like to help him. Because the image of the cave has been burned into Brandon's psyche, he's able to determine its location with a bit of research. Things start to get weird after that. <laughs> weird. Things sound pretty weird already, my friend. Um, let's talk about past life regression. Have you tried it yourself? Yeah, you know, I have that a few times, actually. And hopefully this helped me make Brandon's experience come over authentically. I have tried it myself as well, and it was very um, interesting. No jackals, or I wasn't eaten alive or anything like that, thank goodness. But, um, yeah, it's a very interesting process, isn't it? It is. Uh, it, it, you know, besides the past life regression, I've done what's called life between lives uh, uh, hypnosis, uh, too, and that was maybe even more interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's a lot to know. There's a lot hidden that we don't uh, understand or take the time. So, well, listen, I'm sure we could spend the rest of our time talking about our own experiences, but why don't you tell us more about Brandon Blake instead? Okay, sure thing. Yeah, I'd say the first half of the novel is taken up by the discovery and recovery of the scrolls. With the help of Clara's connections, Brandon goes to Libya, uh, where he encounters some jackals of his own, and barely escapes being killed. With the scrolls in hand, he proceeds to the island of Malta, where Clara has arranged for him to stay while he begins his translation work. During this time there, he and Clara manage to have an affair and an acrimonious breakup. Trying to drown, excuse me, trying to drown his sorrows in the Malta nightlife, Brandon loses the scrolls to a gang of thieves led by a former girlfriend. At a loss for what to do next, he returns to Brooklyn <clears throat> to consult with his Aunt Grace. Oh, my. So and you can tell that he, he, this guy's got some problems with uh, his women friends. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's getting in trouble, isn't he? But, but it sounds like his aunt is someone special to him and to your novel. Yeah, it is. Grace is Brandon's father's older sister. She's an artist and deeply into things like tarot cards and astrology. And her advice to Brandon is to go back to L.A. to explore his own spirituality, which he does with another therapy session, this time not with Clara, but with Clara's mentor. And here he gets some information on his parents and how they got rich by finding lost objects for wealthy collectors. This gives him a lead to a collector show in Paris where he meets with a wealthy dealer who'd done business with his parents. Turns out this man... Uh, Boutrous Gabriel, which translates as uh, John Gabriel, 
is very close to Brandon's Aunt Grace, and he has some unfinished business with Brandon's parents, and Brandon decides he's going to follow through on that. Oh, wow. I feel like we need like a dun-dun-dun. Seems like it's a, dun, dun. T- <laughs> like a turning point, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's exactly right, Pat. During his time in Paris, Brandon does recover the stolen scrolls, and as a result of his conversations with this Mr. Jabril, he picks up on his parents' trail. They've been in pursuit of an object purportedly owned by Hypatia of Alexandria when their private plane went down in the Sea of Timor between Australia and Indonesia. So Brandon, who's recruited Clara to come back to help him, he goes to Sydney with both Clara and and, uh, this Boutros character. Let me just say he loses Clara again, as well as his apparent sanity. That while he's in Australia, he meets up with mythical beings and ghosts, uh, and Native people introduce him to a greater reality, breaking down his self-centeredness. His parents' trail finally takes him to Bali and even more magical trials and fi- that finally lead him to Oaxaca, Mexico, where he's taken into a kind of magic theater by the daughter of uh, Boutros Jabril's yeah, the daughter of Boutros Jabril. Oh, no. So he, he loses Clara twice. So it seems like their lives are intertwined, if not star-crossed. Yeah, that's true. But in the end, he is reunited with Clara. I'm not going to give away the ending, but yeah, I think readers will find it satisfying. Oh, my. Just this little tease right here, I would think so. So this Brandon character has had all these strange and sometimes harrowing experiences um, as I'm listening, I'm I'm wondering, how do you think readers will be able to relate to such things? You know, I've always kind of thought that's the $64,000 questions. Uh, so I did some research on it, and there's a Pew Research survey that verified that approximately one-third of Americans believe in reincarnation, with that percentage being even higher among younger people. And f- furthermore... Over 80% of those questioned believe there are things that happen we cannot explain by either science or natural causes. So my protagonist, Brandon, meets up with an awful lot of such unexplainable things, including what we consider to be life's unusual, life's usual misfortunes, betrayals and tragedies, you know. Yeah, poor guy. Um, Does he ever find happiness and Mm. fulfillment then? Well, you know, he has to learn how to find happiness and what things in life truly matter. And this is what his journey is all about. Because by the end of the book, he's not yet reached midlife. We might say, just as it is for all of us, Brandon Blake will continue learning and growing, hopefully. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you did mention, or I, I mentioned at the top, that this um, is planned as a trilogy. So I'm assuming that this means he's going to be showing up in future novels. Yeah, I think it's likely that we're going to see Brandon again. But the third novel centers around a Japanese girl who's born with a sixth sense for seeing things the rest of us would rather not. My, so we can look forward to that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So let's talk about your covers uh, while we're just at the point where we're at between the second and third books. There are similarities between the cover designs for your first two novels. I take it that you design it, so maybe you can tell us more about that. Yeah, I, I did design them, and I used the same face image on both covers for the first and second books as kind of a reference for the reincarnation. And for those who read the books in sequence, 
I think they're going to try to be trying to guess who in our time or Brandon's time might be Hypatia of Alexandria reborn, as it were. I've come up with something completely different, though, for the final book in the trilogy. So you have artistic background. Uh, do you do other kinds of work besides book covers? Uh, yeah, I do other kinds of projects, like you say. The covers are done using different graphic design software. But I've also worked in a lot of other media, uh, acrylics, oils, inks, uh, you, know, you name it. I don't come from a family where artistic endeavors were encouraged. It's not that such activities were discouraged. They just never were seen as having any practical value. My dad and my oldest brother were both engineers. So, you know, the focus was always on how are you going to make a living? Yeah. <laughs> so I can say the same thing about writing, though. Uh, but for some reason, reading in my family was very much encouraged, and that's probably what got me into writing, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that, that's interesting that families maybe not, didn't necessarily encourage, maybe especially with boys, too, um, the whole artistic side of a person. Yeah, you know, it's, and it's taken me quite a while, I guess, sort of to give myself permission to do this. <clears throat> now, I've only been, <clears throat> I've only been writing novels now that I'm in my seventh decade. Yeah, I'm an old guy. <laughs> uh, but, and I also just had my first work of art accepted by a gallery. So this has motivated me to work on a proposal for a bigger exhibition that I hope to do at a local art museum here in Riverside. Oh, look, Ben, I love that. Um, you also are just continuing to learn and grow, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's the idea. I, feel, I have to say I feel more alive and alert uh, now than yeah. I did maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, that's true. What kind of art was accepted? What was it? It was a self-portrait that I did uh, using uh, acrylics, but then for the Darker areas, I mixed the acrylics with uh, used coffee grounds. Worked out wonderfully. <laughs> oh, my God. And you, now here you are recycling and repurposing, too. So there, there's another right. added dimension to that, right? <laughs> right. And the coffee ground says something about me, too. So <laughs> <laughs> Another dun-dun-dun moment. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. How long did it take you to write the second book? Um, the second book took me hmm, maybe three years. Okay. Unlike the first one, which was over a dozen years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the third one I've been working on now for about a year. I stopped after I'm about maybe a third of the way through right now. Mm-hmm. But I've got all these other projects going, so I'm hoping to get back to it shortly. Oh, this is so exciting just to be able to spend your time now just steeped and immersed in the art and the writing that you love. I like that. Yeah, it's uh, a welcome change for me, too. Now, these books, I'm assuming that it's also important to be historically accurate. So is there much research involved in your in the writing of these books? Well, in the, f- the first one, uh, there was a lot from a historical standpoint. Uh I don't think I wrote a paragraph in there where I didn't have to do some kind of research, you know, to get the uh, uh, verisimilitude of the times. You know, this was back in the 4th century uh, A.D. The second one, 
I had to do research on places, uh, Australia, uh, Bali, uh, Oaxaca, Mexico, things like that. The third one, because it's about a Japanese girl, uh, and because of the things she's encountered, uh, doing, having to do a lot of research in uh, Japanese uh, mythology and ghost stories and uh, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, uh, <clears throat> my wife and I have a friend who lives in uh, Nara, Japan, which is uh, just north of Osaka, uh, who is a trans- English-Japanese translator, and she's been helping me a lot with, you know, getting uh, not only vocabulary, because I do intersperse with some Japanese words, uh, but also, you know, the culture and uh, places and things like that. Oh, that's good to have someone like that that can review what you've written just to make sure things are accurate. I was thinking about the research you had to do when you were talking about the uh, Brandon Blake and the Malta nightlife. I'm thinking, all right, what does Lukeman know about Malta nightlife? Just that, you know, there was a, while I was writing it, my wife and I were both saying, yeah, we ought to go there sometime. <laughs> but now we're not so sure. It seems to attract a lot of a lot of younger people. <laughs> but uh, Malta is a big surprise, though, because you know, besides there, it's uh, one of the places where they believe there's this uh, energy vortex, you know, uh, and there are ruins there that uh, go back, they think, to the Stone Stone Age. Uh, so I learned a lot of things about uh, Malta that I didn't know before. Uh, and with Australia, too, it was a surprise. You know, just not too far north of Sydney, there's uh, these uh, petroglyphs uh, you know, on, the, on the rocks and things. Mm-hmm. And there's a reproduction, or I don't know if it's a reproduction or, you know, it's a new production anyway, of uh, one of the Egyptian gods, you know, the, the jackal god. Mm-hmm. Uh uh, you know, how did that get there? Yeah. And they're pretty sure that it's uh, thousands of years old, not that it's something that a graffiti artist did. Right. So fascinating. Well, you can live vicariously through Brandon Blake, right? Yes, I am. <laughs> and uh, hopefully I can give him some guidance, too. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. You know, in books like these, I I like them because it's easier and it's more enjoyable to learn of historical events and times in this type of narrative way rather than just to sit down and read a historical rendition. Yeah, I have to agree with that, too. And in addition, particularly with the Brandon book, uh, because I've gone through the uh, past life regression and things, it's a way to uh, explain that process to people without getting you know really technical and sort of what some of the things to look for and the caveats and, and whatnot with it. So yeah. uh, that was another aspect of writing that book. I like reading books like that. It's like sneaky learning or lazy learning. You're learning, but it's not like you're sitting down studying something, but yet you come away with it being enriched. And so good job with that. You also do a good job in balancing, I think, the uh, narrative and the dialogue, which I wouldn't think is that easy to do. How does that work for you? Does it just come out naturally, or do you really have to think about how to balance that? 
Well, then, when I first started writing it, it took me um, a, a while to <clears throat> sort of think, you know, what, what would these people be saying to each other? Now it does tend to come out much easier. <clears throat> and part of this is, you know, they're always telling authors, agents and publishers like to say this, you know, show, don't tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't 100% agree with that because uh, a lot of... Uh, the best writing is done by telling people things. Uh, in fact, I, I just picked up a, a novel that uh, it's a Pulitzer Prize winner. It's uh, been on the New York Times bestselling list. And uh, the, you know, the whole beginning of the book, I'm thinking, wait a minute, this guy's he's telling, he's not showing. Mm-hmm. So how did this get published? Well, because he's already a successful publisher, or I mean, uh, author. He can do whatever he wants, I think. You know, uh, the agents and yeah. publishers know that uh, he's going to be popular. But a struggling author like myself, you know, I've got to... But I think all of that, you know, what it gets, gets down to, the showing and not telling, it's that writing is getting more and more like writing screenplays. Mm-hmm. Because that's what people are used to now is, uh, you know, the uh, movies and television and things like that. Plus, I think there's the hope that uh, the novels are going to get picked up and turned into screenplays as well. That's why I stick with my nonfiction. Um, I am a teller, not a shower. I would have a really hard time with that. So that's why I always appreciate when I when I read something that, that has a nice balance to it, I have to appreciate that just because it's something uh, I would I know that I would have a hard time doing. Yeah, it, I think that you can show too much at times mm-hmm. too, and that uh, it's just a matter of pacing for me. That there there are times uh, times to show, times to tell. I mean, that's <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's your book; you can do it how you want. How's that? There you go. You know, and if no one else reads it. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. It's yours. So, speaking of that, what kind of feedback have you gotten from uh, both books? Uh, the the first book about Hypatia has been under consideration with a uh, publisher of uh, historical uh, fiction. Uh, for in fact, I made their first cut, and the uh, manuscript is now sitting with their editorial board. So uh, just waiting to see what's going to happen with, with that. Wow. Uh, you know, there are a lot of considerations I had to submit my ideas for how to market the book and uh, the things that I can help with and the things that I can't help with. Uh, I have maybe some fixed views on uh, marketing books. I don't think that social media, from what I've uh, gathered, is all that effective in selling books. People might you know, talk about it, but whether or not they're going to actually go out and buy a book because it's mentioned on Facebook or mm-hmm. Twitter or, or whatnot. I, I just don't see that that's happening. tell you the truth, I think a more effective way is podcasts like this. Mm-hmm. I might tend to agree with that. Yes, I think you can get the book cover out there on, on Twitter and Facebook and those kinds of things, but I'm not sure that those are actual 
purchasers. Now, obviously, you're going to get some sales from it, but um, yeah. not a whole lot. And for me, with with the books I've written, uh, just getting out and doing speaking events has been huge for me. I, maybe yeah, it's just I, different for everybody. I, I read uh, one analysis that said to sell, uh, I think it was just one or two books, say, on Facebook requires you to have uh, 2,000 friends. So if you want to sell 2,500 books, yes. <laughs> just ramp it up from there. Uh, I think I have 35 friends, so <laughs> I'm in deep trouble. <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I really do think it depends on the following and the quality of the followers as well. So, I mean, if you have a real tribe and you can keep communicating with them and they're, they're uh, fans yeah, then maybe it's easier to to sell books that way. So, and that's a lot of work, too. Then you've got to stop everything you're doing and really work your social media, which takes away from your writing. So I don't know how you do it all. Well, not only that, I mean, I'm, I want to enjoy my retirement. Yes. And I don't want to uh, be, you know, jumping back into... Uh, there was a time years and years ago, I guess when I first got on, the first time I was on Facebook, I did have several thousand um, so-called friends and followers, but um, that was before the last uh, major election, and then all the trolls got on, and I just got fed up with the whole thing. So. Yep. I, I hear you. Um I kind of let go of Facebook as well. So right now I'm just with Twitter. I tried Instagram and one day Instagram didn't recognize the device I was using. And so they kept me off of it for six months. And I thought, you know what? I do not have time to play games with passwords and all that kind of stuff. I'm just too, uh, too busy, too old and not interested. So uh, <laughs> I can support that. Thank you. Thank you. Like mind. All right, my friend. Well, I want to make sure we're not missing anything as we begin to wrap up that uh, you wanted to highlight today. Uh, no, that's pretty much it. Uh, I think we've covered uh, a lot of ground today, too, and I'm really thankful for uh, this opportunity, Pat. Thanks. Oh, I always enjoy speaking with you. It's 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 always fun. I want to make sure that we share all of your contact information. Uh, well, like I said, the books are not out yet. Uh, I'm waiting on the first one. I'm hoping to hear in the next uh, couple of weeks, so that would be coming out. You know, the publication date would be... Uh, sometime in the first quarter of next year. Okay. Uh, this second book, to, you know, can't really say at this point. Okay. But uh, <clears throat> people can find me on Facebook. I did get back. Uh, it was really for an art project that I got back on Facebook, but uh, I also have posted my uh, book covers and you know, some excerpts from uh, the books on there as well. He's back. It's <laughs> back on Facebook. Yeah. All right. Well, just keep us posted, and um, when they come out, and then we can do another blast on this and get it get it out there so folks can find out more and get copies. Lukeman Clark, you are such a pleasure. Thank you for this opportunity again. And when the third book comes out, keep us posted. And your artwork, maybe just personally send me some links so I can take a peek at what you're doing art-wise. I think that's exciting oh, okay. for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. Thank you, Pat. 